Well, this is the fourth in a series of four messages on Advent. And if they put the, the graphic up there, we'll show you what the title is. We've talked about his prophecy. We've talked about the fact that there was a need for a deliverer, and we looked at that need. And we talked about, for the last two weeks, we've looked at promises that God has made to Israel and through Israel to the world that he would send a deliverer. And last week we looked at the fact that, that the deliverer would not come in the form that, that the, the, the religious leaders were looking for. They were looking for a triumphant king. He is coming a second time as a triumphant king. But the first time he was to come as a suffering servant, as a suffering deliverer. And because of that they missed him. And because it was the, the, the nature and character of God, which is really what we looked at. Last week's message was one of the most important messages I've ever brought in 25 years of, of preaching. I felt inside of me. And it's, it's the keystone of where we're going to go next year. So if you were not here, just get a podcast or get a CD and listen to it over and over again. Because it is, I'm hearing God do this on other people. And I know this is where God's calling us. But I don't want to go back and do last week's message. So we've looked at, at how he was to come and the promises and, and, and the character of God that he was going to come, not as a triumph, not, not full of the pride and, of what he could have done. God could have come to the earth in all his glory and just stood there and say, worship me and honor me. And I have come in my power to demand that you bow before me and that you serve me. But he didn't come that way. He came in a form that Satan missed. He realized who the Messiah was once he, re, once he re, was revealed. But he could not conceive that the God of all... See, God, Satan has seen him in his glory. You and I haven't unless you've had a special vision. And Satan could not imagine that the God of glory would lay that aside and come and become one of us. And then suffer and die for such ungodly messes as us? He couldn't conceive it. We looked at a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that said, if the rulers of this age, and that includes the demonic forces too, if they had understood, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. They missed it. Because they couldn't, Satan could not conceive that the God of glory would ever stoop so low. Why could he not understand that? Because Satan is so filled with pride. And pride cannot understand love. Pride cannot understand sacrifice. Because pride's all about me. And God's love is all about you. And what can I do for you? So today what we're going to look is the fulfillment of it. We're going to look at the fulfillment of it. He's born. This is what Christmas is all about. This is why we've spent these three weeks up until now and even today preparing for, for Monday night, Christmas Eve, for celebrating the fulfillment of the promise. And that's what we're going to look at, at today. So let's go back and let's just, this is kind of what I felt the Lord, how the, I felt the Lord lead me to do it. Let's go look at Isaiah 7. We've already looked at this scripture as part of the prophecy that God would send a deliverer. And we looked at this from the point of view two weeks ago of what this deliverer would be like. And we're going to look at it from a little different angle today. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Very well, famous Christmas verse. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. We looked at that two weeks ago to show this is showing the supernatural act that God was going to do. It takes a supernatural act for a virgin to conceive and bring forth a son. But what we're going to look at today is, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So I wonder, did you see God is the one that's giving him his name? God the Father. And the first name he gives him is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means, and I think it's in Luke's uh, when this is repeated in Luke, I think, or Luke or Matthew's version, um, it, it, says, it, it gives us the, the meaning of that, which literally in Hebrew means God among us. God coming to live or dwell among us. So part of the prophetic promise was that when the deliverer comes, it was going to be God, and he was going to come and live among us. Now to you and me, that's not quite as astonishing because we're living after the cross. We're living after the resurrection. We're living after 2,000 years of teaching and doctrine that tells us that God is here among us. 
But to the Jew in that day and age, that was a foreign concept. Because God was way up high, and that's where religion keeps him. Religion puts God way up high on stained glass windows. And there's nothing wrong with stained glass windows as long as you realize the God that lives in all that glory came to live among us. The God who lives in all that glory came to live among us. So this is the announcement that, that, that this deliverer is literally going to be God coming as a human being to dwell, to live among us. That's the Old Testament side of this. Let's go to Luke. Let's go to Luke. And we're going to read the account where an angel announces this to Mary. Verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. This is the virgin that Isaiah talked about. Of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, I guess she would be, and considered what manner of greeting this was. You know, that's kind of Bible talk, but she's saying, what is this? What does this mean? Now keep in mind that theologians believe pretty consistently that Mary was probably a young teenage girl, 14 years old, maybe maybe 15 years old. And, and this angel appears to her. That's shocking in and of itself. But what the angel's message is, is even more shocking. Now remember, Mary would have known these prophecies we've looked at. She would have known Isaiah 7.14, that the deliverer was going to come and be born of a virgin. So her response says, she was troubled at this saying, verse 29, and consider what manner of greeting it was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I want to focus on verse 31. And you shall call his name Jesus. So I want us to see this morning that God gave the Son of God, a human name. And, and so those of you that have been around for a while will understand this concept. Those of you that are relatively new, you may not. So I want to take a moment to explain this. And we'll see that more clearly in a minute. God is made up of three different personalities. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, it's His will that's done. God the Son is the one responsible for carrying out the will, and God the Holy Spirit is the physical agent by which this is done. And I have time to, to explain that and break that all down. But I want to show you the, the delineation between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Son has always existed. We'll see that in John's account in a minute. And what happens, what happened on that Christmas day, which was most likely not in December, but we're going to get into that issue. What happened on that day is God the Son took on human flesh. And He was given the name Jesus. Now the name Jesus, Jesus is an English word for the Greek word Jesus, which is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Yeshua, or Joshua would be the English way we'd pronounce it which means salvation or God saves. In Israel at the time, it was a very common name. And I really never focused on this before until I was looking into this and studying this. It's a very common name. In the Old Testament, there are ten, there are ten men called Jesus, Yeshua. And in the New Testament, there are three of them other than the Lord. So God gives him a common name. Isn't that interesting? God's coming to earth as a son in the most humble of circumstances and God assigns him a name. We know what it means is God is coming to live among us and then we know he's given a name, salvation. 
God wanted us to understand that the, he was becoming a man. It's interesting, I was thinking about this the other day. In all the, other, all the religions of the world, many of them, not all of them, all, many of the religions of the world, what they've done is they've taken man and they've made God like him. So the Greek mythology is they would take characteristics of men or women and they would turn them into gods. God did it the other way around. God formed man in his image. And then God came to live among us and to walk among us. I want you to see this morning how important you are to God. I want you to see how important each one of you is to God. Because what we're looking at today is the God of all creation. The great I Am who could do whatever He wanted, however He wanted, whatever He wanted, wanted to come and live in you. And that's where we're going this morning. Well, let's look at this. Let's go to John chapter 1. This is my favorite version of the Christmas story. You may not think of the Gospel of John, first chapter, as, as the Christmas story, but it really is. Luke's account, Matthew's account, is, is from the human side. So you see the angel coming, Gabriel coming to Mary. You see an angel speaking to Joseph. You see all kinds of angelic activity where they're revealing things to men. You see angels appearing to, to shepherds, alerting them and making them aware of what's going on. You see all kinds of things from the human side. But John looks at it from God's side. Because in everything that happens between us and God, there's our side of it that we experience, but there's God's side of it. Which is why on Sunday morning when I remind us why we come here, that it's not just we coming to meet with God, God's coming to meet with us because He wants to. He's longing for it. He's waiting for the moments when we come together to meet with Him and get our attention so that He can love us and help us and speak with us and reveal His presence to us. That's God's heart. Several years ago, I read this somewhere. It just, it just it revolutionized my thinking about God. It's so obvious, but I, a lot of things about God are so obvious we don't think of it. You and I were God's idea. We weren't His idea. You're God's idea. You didn't convince God to create you and then put up with you. Now think about that, because that's a lot of the attitude we have very subtly underneath. We think God has to put up with us. As if we talked Him into making us, He really didn't want to, but He felt obligated to. So He, he alright, I'm going to create you, and you know, but you've messed it up again and again and again, and I'm just, you know, boy, I really didn't want you that much anyway. And now I gotta put up with you. Yeah, I gotta send my son and pay, but I really don't want. To. No, you are God's idea. That's right. That's right. Ephesians chapter one says, "Before the foundation of the world, God saw you. Before the foundation of the world, God saw you. He saw what you were gonna do. He saw what it was gonna cost to have you back to Himself. And He paid it in His own mind before the earth was ever formed. You're God's idea. You're God's plan. And God loves you more than you'll ever begin to imagine. He just waits to show Himself strong to you. One of the reasons why he sent his son. That's the introduction to John. <laughs> In the beginning. The beginning of what? That's how my mind works. The beginning of the creation of this material realm. In the beginning was the Word. Notice the Word didn't come at the beginning. The Word was here before the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Let's talk for a moment about what word, the word Word means. The word Word is a, the Greek word Logos, L-O-G-O-S. There are two basic Greek words that are in English translations referred to as Word. The other is Rhema, which means a spoken word. But this is the 
concept. This means a concept. The full embodiment of a concept, idea, or a person. It means their nature, their characteristics, all that they are. So in the beginning was the Word. And, and, and what this means is there was the God. You're going to see there's God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So the Word wasn't... God wasn't the Word. The Word was with God. Just follow me out here, okay? So there was God, the Father, and then there was a second being of God, which was the complete expression of His character. Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says He was the outshining of His glory. The exact representation of His nature. So the second person of the Godhead, the Son, was the, an expression of all that the Father is. And the term I used last week, he's chip off the old block. Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we're going to see this morning, part of why God became flesh is so we could see him. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, just in case you're confused, verse 2, go ahead. He, so we know this word is a person. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made through Him. All things were made through the Son. All things were made for the Father, but through the Son. Colossians talks about this in several other places. He was the one that carried out the creation. The Father wanted the creation, wanted you, but the Son was the one responsible for carrying it out, and the Holy Spirit's the agent. In Genesis 1, it says, The Spirit of God hovered over the earth. He was ready for the Word, the Word, let there be. I'm running. Uh, the, the Bible, John's giving us some background. He's pulling back. He's pulling back the curtain on heaven, and letting us look back. Not just in Bethlehem. He's letting us look back up into heaven of what's going on behind the scenes, from his perspective. So you've got the second person of the Godhead, and God saying, "I want to send you. I have promised a deliverer." I have told them through generations that there's a deliverer coming and the deliverer's you and I'm sending you to be the deliverer of my people. All things were made through Him and without Him nothing was made that was made and that includes you. Verse 4. In Him was life. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. There is no life, true life, apart from Jesus. There is no true life apart from Jesus. There's two Greek words that refer to life. There's the word bios, which refers to biological life. But there's zoe, which refers to life at the level God lives it. That's true life. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. It lightens it up. Tomorrow night when we light the candles, the light of those little candles collectively is beautiful. It will light this whole place up. In Him was that light, and the the life was the light of men. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not comprehended. That means overcome it. I don't want to go there. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Keep going. This man came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Verse 8. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness to the light. Verse 9. This is the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 10. He, the Son, was in the world... And the world, just think of the irony here. And the world was made through him, and the world did not 
know him. Imagine that. We're talking about his birth this morning. It took angels. It took the Holy Spirit. It took supernatural signs to let some people know this was not just an ordinary birth. Because everything about it was ordinary. These were two ordinary people. Nothing extraordinary about them. It was not an extraordinary place. He was born in a stable. And he was placed in a feeding trough. In rags. Swaddling clothes. The humblest of circumstances. And they didn't know him. It's interesting, I don't have time to get into this, but you think Mary would remember all this? But there's a point in Jesus' ministry where she sends his brothers to him and says, are you, sure, are you really the one? So in our humanity, we can forget those supernatural experiences. They can begin to fade away and we can have doubts from time to time. He was in the world and the world did not, was made through him and did not know him. The manger, the feeding trough that he was placed in was made through him. Now, he didn't physically carve it out, but the wood came from a tree, and the tree came from the creation, and that creation came through him. The diapers he wore. I'm I'm trying to get real plain with you, because listen to me. God came to get plain. He came to get dirty. Religion wants to remove all that. Religion wants to remove the dirty part of it, the real part of it, the dirt under the fingernails. It wants to remove the blood. It wants to remove the the real tangible part of God coming to earth. Religion wants to remove that because it wants to have God way up high and exalted because somehow that that gives us an excuse for, well, I can't do that. But God came to become one of us to remove the excuse and then to enable us. And then to enable us. And I want to give you a sense of how real this is, that God became a real human being, and the real human being that He became had created everything that He touched, everything that He ate, everything was created through Him. The ultimate irony is the cross He was nailed to was created through Him. The men who nailed Him there were created through Him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees that condemned him to death, Pilate who condemned him, was made through him. And he never defended himself. Because he came to give himself that they may have life. That we may have life. And his own did not receive him. Verse 12. But here's the hope. But as many as received him, have you received him this morning? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That's just the most astounding statement in the Bible. That we, it's one thing to say, okay, God did something so we don't have to go to hell, we can go to heaven. See, that's kind of what I believe when I got saved. Whew, I don't have to go to hell. That's good. I get to go to heaven. That's good. But as I began to read my Bible, I realized, wait a minute, God does infinitely more than that. God does exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can ask or think. He came that we might become children, sons and daughters of the living God. Romans 8 says, joint heirs. Think of the, the love and humility of of the second Son of God to come, go through all of this, so you and I might become equal with Him in heaven. Now, we're not the Messiah, but we're equal. We're sons and daughters. We're one with Him. John chapter 17. We're one with Him. And we're one with the Father. Verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man. That's a physical birth. Or of the flesh or the will of man. But of. That word, the Greek word of is ek, out of. Born out of God. And this is where we wanted to get to. Verse 14. And the Word. And the Word. The second person of the Godhead. 
through whom everything was created, that was created, became flesh, took on human flesh, and dwelt. The word dwelt there means tabernacle, tented, come and dwell in a or house, come and live in a house, a permanent dwelling, come to live in it. And he became flesh, and he lived among us. And we beheld his glory. See, up until this time, man could not see God. Oh, there were instances where God came down on the mountain, where Moses was. There have been instances where God appeared to somebody, Moses in a burning bush. There have been period, you know, Un, rare and unusual occurring where God will appear. But this is God, the fullness, Colossians is the fullness of God dwelt in Him bodily. He wasn't just a part of God, He was all of God dwelling in human flesh. So we could behold Him. This is why I wanted that song, and I'm, I, just, I'm so still, just so, it was the Holy Spirit. God is now a baby. Now think about it. Dependent. On a teenage girl and her husband who didn't think to make a reservation in the, in the inn. Some of you get that on the way home. I love that. She's holding. It's the great I am. And she's holding him. If she doesn't feed him, he dies. She has to take, she's touching him. She's, she has God in her hands. Why would he do that? Because he wants to be touched. He wants to be seen. God knows you and I can't see into the spirit realm unless He does something. But so He came to us so we could see Him. So we could touch Him. There's a line in that song, Mary, did you know when you kissed your son, you kissed the face of God. is so amazing so far beyond anything we can imagine in our minds so much better so much more generous so much more real and practical wow I gotta move on for the first time God could be seen I know there were, but I mean God could be seen in all. God could be touched. God's voice could be heard. One, one of the thoughts that changed my life this year is in a devotion that I read. About, and I'm going to the Easter now, Mary, the other Mary, Mary Magdalene, comes out to the tomb on Easter morning. And she looks in there and he's not in there. And there's a man standing there. And she says, she's troubled. Where have they taken him? Where have they taken him? She's desperate. Where have they taken him? And she doesn't recognize who he is. And he says, Mary. The moment he spoke her name, she knew who it was. And this devotion I read said, on that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had infinitely more knowledge of the Word of God and of the doctrines, and they could explain things in infinitely more detail than this poor former prostitute could do. Oh. 
but she knew his voice. She knew him. She didn't know about him. She didn't know the theology. She didn't know the principles. She didn't know the doctrine. She knew him. Because she'd walked with him. She'd been delivered by him. She spent time with him. She knew him. God became a baby for many reasons, but so we could, could they could know him. But how did they know him? They interacted with him. They talked to him. They listened to him. Starting as a baby, he grew up obviously as a baby. Couldn't communicate much. I mean, if you've been here for a few weeks, you understand he didn't have a halo around his head. So okay, all right, he was a baby. He was God in a baby, but he's still God, but still a baby. And they had to grow up and then you get to know him through interacting with him. She could only see what God wants to do, how much he wants you to know him. I got to move on. It was through their interaction with him as he grew up, they got to know him. Know his personality. Know his ways. Psalm 103 says, Israel knew God's actions, but Moses knew his ways. Because Moses spent time with him. Moses talked with him and listened to him and knew, began to know his ways. Israel said they would do what God said and then they did what they wanted to do. So we're looking at from, from man's side, we could now touch God, hear Him. But from God's side, let's think about it from that side. This will, well, never mind. God, God could know what it was like now to touch a human. God in heaven didn't touch humans. Things were done through angels. But God now knew what it was like to touch Mary's face. God now knew what it was like to experience the things you and I experience. God knew what it was like to be tired. See, God the Father, He can't understand tired Because that comes from flesh. God the Father couldn't understand frustration. How long do I have to put up you disciples? Because frustration comes from flesh. Hebrews 14. God the Father doesn't understand what it's like to be limited by time. God the Father doesn't understand what it's like to be limited by space. God the Father doesn't like understand any of those limitations, but God became a man to be able to identify and understand what it's like to be you. Ooh. Religion puts him way up there, looking down on us, judging how well we're doing today. But the gospel is, God became one of us to bring us to where he is by identifying with us. Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16. I've lived on these verses for times. For we do not have a high priest who cannot. That's a double negative. And in English, a double negative means it's a positive, which means we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. Stop there. The word sympathize really in Greek means more than sympathy. In sympathy, I can be sympathetic for you and not be involved. But the word empathy is a stronger word. 
Empathy means I take on your feelings. And that's what that word actually means in Greek. It's to, it's to take on the feeling. We have a high priest who under, can take on, understands our weaknesses. Now think about this. Because religion tells you God's sitting there judging. Look, you failed again. You committed last week that you were not going to do this. You were going to read your Bible, whatever. You, you committed this and you failed. You slipped. And now God's, gonna, God's upset at you. He may not be angry, but He's a little distant from you today. That's not what the Bible says. Why would a God come all this way, do all this, to be upset at you? He's touched. Some translations say, He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That's, I like that much better. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was tempted in all points as we are. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He was even tempted in his consecration to God. Ever sung, come and say, ever sang here, I surrender all. And mean it with all your heart and go out the door and pull it all back again. Am I the only one? Don't look at me so holy. And we think, oh, I made a promise and I didn't keep it. Three times in the garden, Jesus had to renew his commitment to do what he committed to do. Father, it's possible, take this cup. Three times he had to do that. You don't think he understands what it's like to battle temptation, to not do what you're supposed to do? God took on flesh so He could be touched by what you go through. But He didn't sin so He can bring you out of it and give you victory over it. God's purpose, among others, was to restore the relationship and the intimacy that He had with man before the fall. God created man to be in relationship with Him, to love Him and to be loved by Him. God created man so He could be the object of God's generosity, of His kindness. That's why God created a place called Eden, a place of overwhelming delight and said, enjoy it. One translation said He commanded them to enjoy everything except one tree. God's generous. God wants to bless you, provided it doesn't separate you from Him. And everything God did starting in Genesis chapter 3.15 which we've looked at before on was to restore back this relationship that God, for which God created man to begin with. And it wasn't just to be able to come to church to sing wonderful songs to Him and to have a nice emotional experience and then leave and go back about our lives. It was no, it was to live in intimate relationship with us every day, ultimately every moment of every day. This is why we were created. This is why we were redeemed. And very few Christians ever taste it, let alone walk in it. And this is where we're going next year. God had a real and intimate relationship with those first couple. He knew them. They knew Him. All of God's effort since then was to restore that same relationship with us. So what does Christmas mean for us today? First of all, it is the celebration of the beginning of God's plan to save us. And that's why we celebrate. That's reason enough in and of itself. But what God's put in my heart is a second reason. I've had, I'll share more of this as we go forward. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I believe there's a more immediate meaning that we can have this Christmas that will transform your Christmas from just being celebrating, which is good, celebrating something that happened long ago, I believe that we have the opportunity this year 
to celebrate Christmas as the beginning of a life-changing journey. In January, I began to experience something with the Lord in a way I've never before. I've been praying Ephesians 3.15 through 20 for years, and it's begun to manifest in my life. I've been a Christian for 40 years back in February, and I've begun to know Jesus personally in a way I've never known Him before. I know the doctrine. I can teach the doctrine. I know the principles. I love Him. But I've begun to experience Him as real, more real than I've ever known Him before. And it's been changing my life, beginning to change some of the relationships in my life. God came in Jesus to live among us, that He might know us and be known by us. In the same way that Mary held God in her hands, you hold Him in yours because He's in you. In the same way Mary got to know Him as she talked with Him, interacted with Him, and He grew up in her, life, in her hands and her arms and then around her, and she grew in her knowledge of Him by interacting with Him in the same way He wants you to grow in your knowledge and relationship with Him through the same means. That He can be just as real to you as that baby was in, that de- ar- in her arms and as she, He grew up in her arms and in her presence through all those years of His childhood. That He can be just as real to you and to me as He was to the disciples because the knowledge that they had of him was flesh to flesh. But Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 4, around verse 16, says, We used to know Christ according to the flesh, but we know him that way no longer. We know him now, but we know him with an intimacy that's beyond a physical intimacy. There is an intimacy, a relationship intimacy, that is beyond a physical intimacy. It's beyond the physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. The Greek word for know him is a Greek word that's often used for that physical intimacy between a husband and wife, a very intimate knowledge of someone. But there is a knowledge of someone, an intimacy that's beyond that, and it's spirit to spirit. And that's what I've begun to experience. I've begun to know him in my spirit. And he's becoming more real to me in my spirit than through all that I've known through the 40 years. And that knowledge of him is beginning to change me. And it started like a little baby knowledge. Knowing him as a little... And it's growing and I've got to be patient with it. Because some days I'm more aware than other days. But I want to take you there. I want to take you on this journey of what I'm coming going on and beginning to experience. Because God, with all His heart, wants you to know Him that way too. Jesus called us to do that. He didn't call His disciples to, be, to start a religion. He didn't say, look, I've got a new religion I'm going to start, and I've chosen you to start it. He didn't, chalk, he didn't call them to do something for Him. That was part of what happened, but He called them into a relationship And he picked them personally, one by one. Nathaniel, you follow me. Peter, personally, you follow me. John, James, come, follow me. Where are we going? Just follow me. Just follow me. This is the end. Follow me. I am the way, Jesus said. It's in the relationship with him is the truth and the life. It's not seeing where he's going and then going there. It's following him. In fact, when Jesus said, I'm the way and truth of life, he's responding to Philip. Because Jesus had just said, I have to leave you for a while. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But when I come back, I'm going to take you there. And Philip says, well, Lord, how do we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. How do we know the way? He's saying, we don't, you're trying to take us somewhere. Oh, this is going to be good. He's trying to take, you're trying to take us somewhere, and we don't know how to get there. We don't know the way there. And Jesus' answer was, you don't need to know the destination. I'm the way. You follow me. You get into a relationship with me, and I will take you there. Then the next chapter, John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you abide in me, I will produce much fruit through you. 
we as Christians have been trying to produce fruit without abiding in a relationship with Him. If you abide in a relationship with Him, if you grow in your knowledge of Him in a living relationship with Him, you can't help but produce fruit. You will be the fruit. Wherever you go, whatever you do. I've begun to have people that haven't seen me in a while are saying there's something different about you. There's a peace about you. There's a calmness about you. And it isn't because I read a book and found out what I had to do. It's because I'm getting to know the Prince of Peace at a level I've never known before. I'm expecting a real relationship. So when I get into some difficult, challenging situation, I don't run off and try to figure out what to do. I immediately draw near to Him. I draw near to Him and count upon Him to strengthen and to help. He wants to do that with you. With all of His heart. With all your heart. God came in Jesus to live among us, to know us, to touch us, and to be known by us. And the same way He wants to be born in you as He was in that manger. Most of us in here have received that birth. We've received Christ in us. But is He living in you? Is He dwelling in you? The prayer of Ephesians 3.15 that I've been praying for years now, Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus that they would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in their inner man so that Christ could dwell in the tabernacle in them. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, but He wants to dwell in you. That we be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in our men, that Christ might dwell as He dwelt in human flesh in that manger that He may dwell in your human flesh and my human flesh. That being rooted and grounded in that love, we might come to know, together with all the saints, the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know, and that word means by experience, the love of Christ that passes understanding, so that we, together, would be filled up with all the fullness of God. You get filled up with the fullness of God and wherever you go, you squirt out. Somebody insults you, somebody pokes you, God squirts out of you. (laughs) Somebody does something against you, God comes out of you. You can't help it when you're filled with something, that's what comes out of you. Now unto Him who's able, it's His ability, to do exceedingly abundantly beyond everything you can ask or think, according to the power that's in heaven. No, according to the power that dwells in you right now. But many many of us have already received His birth in us. But has He become so real to you that you know Him as well as Mary knew Him? We ought to know Him better than Mary knew Him because His Spirit is dwelling in you. Just because you can't see Him with your eyes doesn't mean you can't know Him. The knower that's on the inside is is limitless whereas the knowledge through our senses is very limited. Jesus said in John chapter 4, The Father wishes true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And God is calling us to know Him. In many places, the Bible talks about knowing God in terms of great intimacy. So how can we experience this birth and this relationship in us? First, as Mary did, you must allow God to conceive Him in your heart. And we're going to give you that opportunity in a moment. If you've never received Christ, Jesus, into your life to be born in you, we're going to give you that in just a moment. But it didn't stop there. And this is what stopped for many Christians. He's been born in you, but you've never gotten to know Him. Imagine 
being born in that manger from Mary, and she just, let, just carried him around, never talked to him, never did anything with him. He was just around. But she knew him. She knew his voice because she interacted with him. And the way you get to know him is to begin to open your heart to him. Begin to open your heart to him and begin to desire to know him. This is what I did. Lord, I, don't really, I had to become honest. I don't really know you. I know the Father, but I don't know you. I don't know you anywhere as near as well as I know my wife. And I ought to know you better. I didn't feel condemned. I just I got real about where I was. This is, and this is what I want. I want to know you. And then it began to come to him every morning with that desire. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you more today than I knew you yesterday. I want you to be more real to me today. Interacting with him, just as Mary and Joseph and others got to know him by interacting with him, we get to know him by talking to him from your heart, listening to him with your heart, and then trusting him with your heart. Let's pray. Father, may this not just be a regular Christmas, but maybe this is a Christmas where Jesus, the living Christ, is born, that was born in a manger, is now born in our hearts. And for those of us in whom He has been born, may we begin to know Him. And may You begin to reveal Him to us in ways we've never known Him before, in the practicalities of our lives. He's in us to help us, to deliver us, to set us free. He's in us to lead us and to guide us. He's in us to love us every day with Your love. He's in us to make You more real to us. Father, this can only be done by the Holy Spirit. So my prayer today for all of us is that you would strengthen us by your Spirit in our inner man, our heart, that Christ may be able to really live in us, in us and then through us, that being rooted and grounded in that love that he has for us, we may then come to know the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding that we may be filled with all of your fullness now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us be all glory in your church. In Jesus' name.